Thoughts and Answers begins right now. If you look around the world today and watch the news, the world seems to be headed for a cataclysmic end. There's the constant threat of wars, economic collapse, cyber warfare, the release of a super virus, and so much more. If you believe this world is all there is, there is reason for worry and despair. However, for the believer in Christ, there is concern over what we see, but there is hope knowing God is in control. All events are taking place according to his plan and his returning, and the coming of his kingdom is near at hand. And that's why studying biblical prophecy is exciting and also encouraging for every believer in Christ. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with our host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In our broadcast today, Pat begins a message with the exposition of Revelation chapter 1 and shares God's plan for the end of the age. Now, let's get right into chapter 1 of Revelation. You know, if you look at the world around you today and watch the news, uh, the world seems to be headed for some kind of cataclysmic end. You know, there's the threat of AI taking over civilization and something like the Terminator scenario seems more and more realistic every day. We've got the rise of Russia, China, and Iran forming an unholy alliance against the West. And many predict that the West has seen her final days as the leader and dominant influence upon the world. There's the threat of economic collapse that will require us to go to some kind of government-controlled digital currency, which will give some kind of central government more control over the lives of individuals. We have COVID. You know, the COVID crisis gave us a small taste of what the release of some kind of super virus could do as it wreaks havoc upon nations and the world around us. We saw the economic devastation, the way that lives were incredibly impacted as we were facing the COVID epidemic. Doctors are seeing depression and anxiety in young people at an epidemic level. If you believe this world is all that there is, then there's reason to be worried and reason to despair. But for the believer in Christ, there is concern over what we see. But there's also hope knowing that God is in control and all events are taking place according to his plan and his return and the coming of his kingdom are near at hand. The things that are taking place set the stage for his return and that his return could be soon. But all that is happening is not catching God by surprise. He is in control, orchestrating all things throughout the world to bring about his purpose. And if you have a strong hope in the future, then you have power to live in the present. That's why studying biblical prophecy is exciting and also encouraging for every believer in Christ. If you're not a believer in Christ, well, then it might be a little scary. But if you're a believer in Christ, then the study of prophecy is quite exciting. And it is a great encouragement for every believer in Christ to see how God puts everything together and brings all things to a conclusion that honors him and establishes truth, justice, and his righteousness for all mankind. 
And Revelation is the final book written to tell us what will take place at the end of the age. John is the last disciple of Christ, and it is here at the ending of his life, in his 90s, that he is exiled to the island of Patmos, where he writes the final revelation that God has given to him. Now, we find here in the book of Revelation, John is exiled to the island of Patmos. We pick it up here in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, where John says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John here calls himself a fellow brother in the Lord. So he claims no exalted status, but says that he is a fellow believer. And he also states that he is a partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. So he says here that he is a partner in tribulation. John, at this time in his life, is in prison for preaching Christ. He is a fellow sufferer along with all Christians who suffer for the cause of Christ. And if you study the life of John, not only John, but of all the disciples of Christ, they were persecuted and suffered for their faith in Christ. And in the end, all met the death of martyrdom, except for John here. But John suffered tremendously for his testimony and faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the lessons we learn is that suffering is part of the Christian life. When you come to faith in Christ, it doesn't exempt you from the trials and tribulations that we encounter in this fallen world. So he says that he is a partner in tribulation, but also a partner in the kingdom. We are partners in suffering, but also partners in the eternal kingdom of God. We share in eternal life, but also the rewards of being brothers and sisters of God's kingdom. And he also states, and the patient endurance that are in Christ Jesus. Now, the term patient here denotes the hope of faith, which inspires and gives a person the ability to endure. All believers together, we share the hope of the coming of Christ's kingdom. And this is the hope that instills within each one of us, every believer in Christ, the extraordinary patience and the ability to endure, even through the toughest of times. Now, John is exiled here to the island of Patmos. And Patmos is a small, rocky island off the coast of Turkey. It's only 10 miles long and 6 miles wide, so even smaller here than the islands we have here in Hawaii. Now, the early church fathers, such as Irenaeus, who is the spiritual grandchild of John. Irenaeus is the disciple of Polycarp. Polycarp is the disciple of John. We have Clement of Alexandria and Eusebius, the first church historian, all state that John was sent to this island as an exile under the rule of the emperor Domitian, who ruled in 81 to 96 AD. And these writers state that John was exiled to this island near the ending part of the rule of Domitian. Uh, so that would be in the 90s. So at this time, John is very old, in his 90s. He's the only disciple who died a natural death. And here in his 90s, John was forced to labor in the mines on the island of Patmos. So even to the very end, John was 
faithful but also suffering uh, for his faith in Christ. He says here that he was in the spirit. Now, that's a state where the physical and mental faculties are temporarily suspended and the inward senses are heightened and opened up. With the biblical writers, you know, God often did this. He often brought a man's spirit into direct contact with the invisible spiritual world and with the things in God's own mind, but in ways that a finite human being could indeed withstand and comprehend. So this was not a dream state because John was wide awake and he perceived clearly all that was going on around him. And he says, I was here on the Lord's day. Now, there's two possible meanings by what he means by the Lord's day. It could refer to Sunday or it could refer to the Lord's coming judgment day, which John is transported in the future to see. Now, the argument for the Lord's Day, that it's Sunday, this came to be the customary way of referring to Sunday by the end of the second century, because this was the day of the week in which God was raised from the dead. And so very early on, the church began calling Sunday the Lord's Day. But it can also be referred to the Judgment Day, which John is transported in the future to hear. And I believe it was referring to that, the Judgment Day, which John is transported in the future to see because he's speaking here in the context of revelation of the coming kingdom of God and judgment comes before the kingdom. So although John was the only apostle to live to an old age, he did suffer persecution all his life. And that's part of the Christian life. You know, what a contrast to what we hear about the Christian life today. Many sermons today are motivational messages teaching us how we can, through God's principles, improve our lives and attain earthly riches and success. Many teachers and preachers make Sunday morning a time of entertainment and motivational sermons filled with jokes and little deep teaching on spiritual truth. And speaking to many pastors, many of them were saying that they used to work in churches where the tough passages or tough books of the Bibles were often skipped and never touched there in Sunday morning or in church. So as a result, we have a generation of Christians with a shallow faith who don't know biblical truth or how to handle the trials and tribulations of life. Many have a false understanding of the Christian life. Many believe when I become a Christian, I learn how to use God's power to attain financial success and fulfill all my dreams for this life. You know, suffering or the tough times come because I fail to trust God fully or have the wrong perspective on life. Well, John's life and the life of the apostles and disciples of Christ teach us that the Christians, that being a disciple of Christ, we are not exempt from the trials and suffering that we will face upon this fallen world. Becoming a Christian doesn't exempt us then from the trials and tribulations of this world. But coming to Christ instills within us the ability to endure suffering and trials because we have a sure hope that we are the people of God and we will share in eternal life in God's kingdom. 
And that hope has and continues to inspire Christians throughout the ages. That is why Christians can face trials and tribulations with expectant hope and even joy that is everlasting. You know, a recent speaker and a friend of mine, Dr. Richard Howe and his wife, Rebecca Howe, I met Rebecca for the first time at our Evidence and Answers conference when they were speaking back in February. I came to learn that Richard's wife, Rebecca, suffers from Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and she lives in pain every day, not knowing when her bones will tear or if she will be able to even move the next day. And so she lives in a tremendous amount of pain, but her attitude and her outlook on life and her, and her hope and her faith in Christ is just incredible and remains unshaken. I, I will tell you her story, but I thought that maybe it's better that if she tell you her story herself. There's just brief testimony from Rebecca Howe. Over the years, as my joints have come apart, I've been stapled, screwed, bolted, plated, and tied back together. My name is Rebecca Shada Howe, and in my professional life, I was known for building multidimensional databases and analyzing big data. But now, I have a ministry inside doctor's offices and inside the operating rooms where I get to interact with medical personnel who are treating me. And when I'm not doing that, I partner with my husband, who's a philosopher and apologist, as he travels the world teaching and defending the historic Christian faith and the inerrancy of the scripture. My parents are with Wycliffe Bible Translators. In the heart of the Amazon is where I have incredibly fond memories. Our playtime would be to go and dangle our fingers in the water of a stream and play with the angelfish that were in there, or watch the toucans fly over. And I lived there until I graduated high school and then came back to the U.S. for university. As a child, I fell down a lot. When I would set a volleyball, my thumbs would dislocate. When I would run, my knee would dislocate. I came back to the U.S. and the doctors would just fix something and ended up back at home for a while. And I joined the handbell choir at our church and I played four in hand. We were practicing for a huge concert. It was a big event, a prestigious event. And eight of my fingers went in a direction fingers aren't intended to go. And the next day I went in to see one of my longtime surgeons. And he's like, don't worry. We can fix this, but there's something fundamentally wrong because this doesn't happen to people. And it took a year of doing testing and research and investigating before they discovered what I had. And it turns out I was a textbook case for Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. In my instance, my tendons and ligaments don't work like everyone else's do. I was born with X number of movements in every joint in my body. Every movement I take is a withdrawal from that deposit. To date, I've had 34 major operations to put my joints back together. I've had five on my feet, four on my knees, one elbow, one on my shoulder, three on my other arm, four on my spine, one on my neck, and 15 on my hands to keep them functioning. Early on when I was diagnosed, I viewed it as a loss, what things I wasn't compared to what other quote normal people would be. 
I can't do this, I can't do that. But God has absolutely molded me through my physical experience, the suffering that, that I go through. I have intimate relationships with people inside an operating room who see me on a recurring basis, who share their prayer request. I can pray for them. Without what I've been through, I would not be able to, to do that. It's brought me to this point. So I am eternally grateful. I love 1 Peter 5.10, which says, But the God of all grace, who's called us into his eternal glory through Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, will establish, settle, strengthen, and perfect you. And I love the contradistinction that's put there. We're called to his eternal glory after we've suffered a while. So anything that I'm going through is but a blink of an eye in in the light of eternity. Not even that. And to know that at the end, we're going to be with Christ in heaven, that's a hope without words, that we have that hope for tomorrow. This is temporary, and we're going to spend eternity with Christ Jesus. In Portuguese, 1 Peter 5.10 reads, E o Deus de toda a graça, que em Cristo Jesus vos chamou a sua eterna glória, depois de haverdes padecido um pouco, Ele mesmo vos aperfeiçoará, confirmará, fortificará e fortalecerá. Great testimony, wasn't it? And one of the passages she continually quoted was 1 Peter 5.10, which states, After you have suffered a little while, the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's the hope of eternal glory with Christ that keeps her from becoming depressed and discouraged. You know, if I was in her situation, I'd probably be depressed and discouraged a lot. So it's absolutely amazing how the hope and faith she has in Christ gives her the ability to meet trials and tribulations with joy and even excitement each day. And, you know, in a radio interview I had with her, you can listen to the podcast on our website at evidenceandanswers.org. I interview her for over an hour. And I asked her, how do you keep from bitterness and resentment towards God? Many people think, you know, God, you shortchanged me. I got the wrong end of the stick. And her answer was quite profound. She said, there's three principles, Pat. Number one, you have to keep Christ focused every day. Second, you have to keep focused on eternity, that there's something greater beyond this life. And finally, keep ministry focused. Look for opportunities, even through your suffering, to love others and be a powerful witness for Christ. And you can see through her life, she's doing all three. And so your life application, number one, is this. You know, as believers in Christ, remember, we're not immune to the trials and sufferings that we're going to face in this fallen world. But we can overcome trials and suffering when we build our future on the promise that God is in control, working all things in our lives for his purpose. And one day, his kingdom is coming. Things will not always be this way. All right. One day he is coming <laughs> to make all things right. And this allows us as followers of Christ to persevere and overcome the trials we face in this life. So keep an eternal focus, and you won't lose heart. Now, John turns at this point 
to see Jesus standing behind him. Now, the last time John saw Jesus is recorded in Acts 1. Jesus was with his disciples in Jerusalem, and he ascended to heaven. Now, John is in heaven, and he sees Jesus in his full glory. And he describes the vision of the risen Christ here. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. So John here now sees the glorified Jesus Christ in his full glory. He says here, I turned and saw someone like a son of man. He's referring to Daniel 7, 13. And Daniel 7, 13 states, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now, in Daniel here, he is describing a divine being. And we know looking back through the New Testament, this is the incarnate, pre-incarnate, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man, his time here on the earth, this is what he was referring to here. It's a title of divinity. And John says that he was clothed with a long robe. Now, the high priests wore long robes when they performed their duties in the temple, but also men of high rank wore long robes. Now, the evidence indicates that Christ here is coming wearing a long robe because now he comes not only as priest, but also as judge. Dr. John Walvoord writes one of the finest commentaries on the book of Revelation. In fact, he's one of the great teachers in eschatology, right? The late Dr. John Walvoord, he died a, a little over 10 years ago, one of the great Bible expositors and theologians in this area of eschatology. You need to read the material that Dr. John Walford writes, but he states that the clothing that Jesus is wearing shows that Jesus is now functioning not only as priest, but also as judge. Remember, before the kingdom comes the judgment. Christ will judge his church and then he will judge the world. It says that a golden sash was around his chest. I think this refers also to what the angels of the last plague were wearing. They were wearing a golden sash. And this signifies Christ coming as judge, because judgment is the theme here. It says that his hair was as white as wool. It's a reference to Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, in that passage, referencing the father who had hair white as wool. Now, 
This reference is also given to Christ. White hair, like wool, symbolizes purity and the eternal nature of Christ. Then it says that his eyes were a flame of fire. Once again, a reference to Daniel chapter 10, verse 6, and repeated in Revelation 2.18 and 19.12. It signifies the righteous wrath that is attributed to the risen and glorified Christ here. Remember, he is now coming as judge to render judgment upon his church and then render judgment upon the world. Once again, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. Our goal is to bring you the love of Christ and His teaching as it relates to today's current events. If you would like to hold an apologetics conference or series of teachings at your facility, give Pat a call at 483-0586, or you may email him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to browse through our listing of topics on our site. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. You will also find articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. To keep quality broadcasts, like Pat's on the Air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. Donating is simple. Just log on at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is grateful for one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to grow in your faith, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log in at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Great day.